0: Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, These dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct. Like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars from whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. And of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.
1: Hello again. I realise I probably should have said this earlier, for those who don't know me, my name is Ben, I'm one of the pastors at Grace and Lincoln Churches and periodically I have the joy uh, of coming to this particular uh, congregation to open the Word of God, which of course is what we're going to do together now. Please do keep your Bibles open at uh, Jude, the Epistle of Jude, and I'll lead us in prayer, then we'll get stuck into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us in your word only ever always for our good and that you do so in the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work among us to make us more into the image of your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray you do that for us now. Amen. Uh, Well, if uh, you've known me for any time, you'll know I'm often a little bit uh, cheeky, juvenile and uh, a bit of a contrary person, so at the time of year where perhaps more than any other, we're likely to think about change, I think I'm going to start my sermon speaking about things that are very unchanging and very constant. Uh, Here's some things in the year of our Lord, 2023, that will only ever always remain constant. And these are off the top of my head, but I'm sure you'd all agree. Number one, our God, God the Father, is a loving, uh, all-powerful, all-good, all-sovereign Lord who continues to sustain the universe By his powerful word. Jesus Christ is the risen Lord in whose name alone there is salvation and who is soon to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. God the Holy Spirit is the great evangelist who convicts people of the truth of the gospel, enables us to turn to him in repentance and faith, and then in his power illuminates the scriptures for us so that we can grow as mature Christians. All those things, unlike every New Year's resolution that got made two and a half weeks ago, will remain constant. Sadly, death will also remain constant. There are some people within our congregations for whom this may be the last year that they have with us in the world. Just statistically, that is a likelihood. Less sad, but also equally frustrating, is that taxes will probably remain a fairly constant thing throughout this year. But brothers and sisters, in these last days... Another thing that sadly will remain ever constant is the existence and the influence of false teachers. Uh, Jesus taught that in the last days they'd be marked by false messiahs and false Prophets. The head apostle Peter taught that just as there were false prophets within Israel, so there will always be false teachers within the church. The apostle Paul warned that there are false apostles, those who masquerade as apostles of Jesus Christ. The apostle John says that one of the clearest evidences that we are in the last days, and in his case he used hyperbole the last hour, is that even within the first century there were already many Anti-Christ. Anti means in place of people or teachings who set themselves up in place of Jesus. Just as in a fallen world it is right to expect the world will oppose Jesus and his followers, one of those forms of opposition to the truth comes from within Christendom. People who appear to be godly and yet whose goal, whether wittingly or not, is to undermine the truth. It is one of the single biggest themes In the New Testament. How ought Jesus followers stand for truth and against false teachers and their influence? Well fittingly near the end of our Bibles we have these few short letters 2 John 3 John Jude that deal precisely with this consistent and ever-present problem and today of course we're looking at uh, the letter from Jude. Now Jude was the brother to the leader of the original church in Jerusalem namely uh, James. And it's certainly clear that Jude's letter is intended for Christians. For to be a Christian is to be called, loved in God, and kept for Jesus Christ. These are basic descriptions of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Notice the past, present, and future, by the way. We have been called, we are loved in God, and we are kept for Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful description. By the way, the call in the New Testament is the call to become a follower of Jesus. There's no call to a specific ministry or anything like that. It's just the call to become a Christian. Now, what in summary does Jude want to say to Christians? Well, he makes that abundantly clear in his purpose statement from the next verse, verse 3, where he writes, Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share... I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. I like this because it means the point of Jude's whole short letter is very clear. You don't have to have some meditative, spiritual, reflective sort of experience to work out what it's saying. He just tells you really simply, Jude wants us, his readers, to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. That's the point of the letter. You come away from Jude with something else, you haven't read the letter properly. Now, the word we translate, contend, and this is just from a a Greek dictionary, the word that gets translated contend has the sense of an intense struggle. It's to exert intense effort on behalf uh, behalf of something. Greeks used it to talk about athletics, right? You... You go hard and all out, it's competitive. You see, because we love the truth of God's revelation, or I hope we love the truth of God's revelation, well, we'll therefore not only rejoice in it, but also therefore contend to guard and to maintain it. Uh, this is a pretty normal kind of thing, you know. Uh, when I got married to my lovely wife, Stacy. I didn't just promise to love and cherish her as long as I, we both shall live, but I also promised in the same ceremony to forsake all others, which of course is one of the ways that a husband can love and cherish his wife. It's both delighting in and contending for the thing that I value very highly. Notice also uh, in, in this verse here, verse 3, It's not my faith and it's not your faith, it is the faith that as Christians where to contend for. We always get this wrong. We always think of faith as this sort of subjective thing that changes flavour according to the individual. No, the New Testament doesn't think of faith like that. The New Testament speaks of one particular faith, one body of historic and spiritually discerned truth, the final revelation of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ in accordance with the Scriptures, the faith to which all genuine believers give wholehearted assent and obedience. Now originally the faith came to those who taught and wrote down the content of biblical faith namely the faithful Jews that Jesus formed into his original church uh, the term holy ones in a different translation a better one frankly uh, is the same as the word saints a term that in the first instance refers to faithful Jews. Now, of course, the wonderful thing throughout the New Testament is that we see that term gets expanded to include all followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a saint, uh, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. But originally, the term applies to faithful Jews who comprise the apostles and the members of the original church on the day of Pentecost. So, The faith that we are to contend for is not the faith that was revealed to Muhammad 600 years after Jesus. The faith that we are to contend for is not the faith that a succession of popes and clergy have formulated over time. It is not the faith that was delivered to Joseph Smith in historically dubious circumstances. It is not the faith that was formed by the Watchtower Society in the 20th century. No, it was the faith entrusted, or better translation, delivered, once for all to God's holy people, which, as you and I know, is what we have now recorded for us in Scripture. Now, why does Jude see it as necessary that Christians should contend for this faith that we have very firmly for us in Scripture? Well, here's why. Verse 4, and it's got the word for at the beginning. Here's the big because. Why should we contend? Here's why. Verse 4, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So secretly... Ungodly people perverting the truth of the gospel in order to allow for immorality and or denying the sole authority of Jesus as God alone. Uh, Perhaps by setting up something else or someone else in contrast to Jesus, something that in effect becomes a rival authority. In other words, we're dealing with what the New Testament calls over and over false teachers. Now, this is often a little bit hard for us to swallow, because in the immortal words of my favourite Christian rapper, Shy Lin, some are going to label me a Pharisee, because today the only heresy is saying that there's heresy. But friends, a sad part of life, prior to the eternity that we're soon to enjoy, and that the Bible asserts over and over, is that this is simply going to always be the case. False teachers will be a constant problem for the church of God in the year 2023 and in every other year that passes until Jesus returns. So what does Jude reckon we should do about this? Well, to put it simply, we need reminding fairly constantly that destruction is actually the end that false teachers are heading for. It's not the false teaching that gets condemned on the day of judgment. It's the false teacher who is, and don't you doubt it, heading for hell. Verse 5. Though you already know all this, says Jude, I want to remind you. I want to keep it on the radar. I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Now this is an obvious and well-known truth for anyone who's ever read the book of Exodus, people who know the truth but who yet persist in unbelief and rejection of God will, of course, face his holy and righteous wrath. It's the thing that most people consider unpalatable about the gospel of the Lord Jesus when I do talks at schools, it's the thing people don't want me to talk about, which is ridiculous because judgment is, is a very important and essential part of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unbelievers, who remain in their rebellion against God, remain in rebellion against the Holy God. And he will bring them, sooner or later, into judgment. Uh, now, that case in Exodus wasn't just a one-off incident. It's actually the generally observable way that things are. You can actually go outside the Bible and look at pop culture. Well, you can't now, but if you're a Jew in the first century, you can go outside the Bible and look at pop culture and see time and time again that God is a holy God who brings into judgment those who rebel against him. So Jude now alludes to some other literature, literature outside of the scriptures, in order to remind us that judgment is a reality for unbelievers. Now, for those of you who are interested or a little bit nerdy, you want to know what these sources are, um, there's two at least bits of writing that, that Jude refers to. One's called the Assumption of Moses, sometimes called the the, the Testament of Moses. Uh, The other one's called uh, the Book of One Enoch. They're not part of the Bible, but because they include theological reflections from the people whose culture was heavily influenced by the Scriptures, it's not surprising that you see similar basic themes. And so verse 6, probably alluding to the Book of One Enoch, Jude says, "...and the angels..." who do not keep their positions of authority, but abandon their proper dwelling. These he is kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And then just as easily he slips right back into the Bible, verse 7, in a similar way. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So even if you don't know one Enoch, which I assume none of us do... In the same way, it's just another example from outside the Bible as to the one that he then gives from inside the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah. Both in God's word and even in the popular culture of God's people of the day, we see time and time again the judgment for unbelievers, be they humans or angels, is a reality. And naturally, we're warned to avoid it. But of course, here we're dealing with more than just unbelievers. Unbelievers. We're dealing with false teachers who look like believers, so Jude has to go the next step. Verse 8, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. Uh, Polluting their own bodies, by the way, uh, refers to sexual immorality. See, you remember Jesus said it's not what goes in to the body that makes someone unclean. So it's not smoking or eating unhealthy food. I mean, those things are unwise, but that's not what's on view here. Uh, But the Apostle Paul, when referring to sexual immorality, says that all other sins a man commits are outside his own body. And Jude has just been speaking about Sodom and Gomorrah, where the sin was sexual immorality. So here, polluting of the bodies refers to sexual sin. Something that can prove a teacher false, and sadly, uh, not long ago, this was the case with the great Ravi Zacharias, for those of you that remember, is, of course, gross sexual misconduct. But not only that, there's the rejecting of authority, as evidenced by a, a cavalier attitude toward celestial beings, almost certainly meaning Angels. Given that he's just spoken about Sodom and Gomorrah, where there's angels, and in the very next verse he's going to speak about an angel. So celestial means angels. And we don't think about this that much, do we? But one of the common roles of angels in the scriptures is that they either deliver, or uphold, or quote, put into effect the word of God. Now, Jude has just mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah, where if you remember that story. Uh, some angels, in effect, gave a dire warning to the people there not to pursue their sinful indulgence. Sadly, those angels were ignored and Sodom and Gomorrah went up in flames and uh, Lot's wife got pretty salty. I'm a youth minister, so yeah. So I think that the idea here is something like this. Whereas the godly teacher will derive his authority from careful, humble, and obvious dependence on the Word of God, the real authority, the false teacher asserts his own authority, perhaps by using rather than sitting under the Word of God. To highlight the contrast, Jude again makes reference to a bit of Jewish pop culture, this time from the Testament of Moses, and he says here from verse 9, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now that's extraordinary, the one person who you should freely rebuke, the devil himself, even then, I defer to God, I'm not going to sort of assert my authority over that of God. Verse 10, yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, we will destroy them. Woe to them. And then again, straight back to the Bible. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They've been destroyed by Korah's rebellion. And by the way, if you don't know any of those three references or the stories... Good, please come and ask me afterwards and I'll give you a crash course in any one of those three things. But basically, what we are seeing is that on the strength of their own dreams, their own thought, their own philosophy, their own understanding, sitting arrogantly over what God has made clear in his word, these teachers are in it for their own personal gain, which is about as opposite to Jesus' As you can get. Ever wonder why you? you it's sort of a fairly regular occurrence that with the mega preachers with you know massive uh, uh, incomes that there's always sexual scandal that seems to follow close behind. Now, hopefully at this point you might be starting to think something like, "Gee, Judy is really putting the boot in here." And for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through it. But there's another whole paragraph of him going. Absolutely hellfire in his harsh condemnation of these false teachers. Waterless clouds, wandering stars, twice dead, uprooted. Right? He just bang, bang, bang. And you get the sense as you read it, like is this guy using a sledgehammer to crack a peanut? You know, like we, we we've heard it. Why is he just so brutal and and so insistent? Well, friends, I've got to say, in my experience, when the Word of God pushes something really hard it's almost always because our sinful hearts are actually quite accustomed at pushing back. And so I need to ask both you and me, are you exercising discernment in what you read and hear and see from various sources purporting to be teaching you Christianly? Can you and I at times be guilty of letting the very right notion that we're to be charitable and loving and kind, somehow yet become a convenient reason for never speaking out against patently false teachers. We'll come back to this issue in just a moment when Jude moves on to the practical ways that we're to approach both false teachers and those influenced by them. But there's one more important thing Jude wants us to consider first. A final characteristic of the false teacher Another thing we need to be aware of in order to contend for the faith is that there is a vast difference between one's natural instincts and what the Spirit of God shows to be authoritative. So verse 17, "'But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. "'They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers "'who will follow their own ungodly desires.'" These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Notice, first of all, Jude sees the authority, the measure of what is true and reliable as that which comes from the teaching of the apostles. And the apostolic gospel itself includes the warning about the ever-present threat of false teachers. The clear implication is that Aligning yourself with the teaching of the apostles, which of course we have recorded for us in the New Testament, is part of what it means to have the Spirit. To reject or pervert the apostolic faith is to follow mere natural instincts and therefore not to have the Spirit. In fact, it's probably worth a mention that the way you can discern a fellowship, a fellowship or a church is truly spiritual, is not by all manner of visually spectacular supernatural phenomenon. It is not by what makes you feel elated and ecstatic and powerful and what gives you the liver shiver. It's particularly during congregational singing, which just so often erroneously gets called worship which is a constant bugbear of mine come and ask me why afterwards that's not true spirituality nor is it by what makes you feel very somber and formal and pious in a spooky building that's not genuine spirituality either it's by whether or not the apostolic gospel as given in scripture is the thing that the fellowship is undergirded by the thing that it always goes on about Many years ago, when I was doing MTS, an apprenticeship for ministry, I um, had the job of running a little Bible study in a residence for the University of Wollongong, and there were a lot of um, uh, overseas students that came there. And and, and one particular day, I was teaching something from the Bible along similar lines to what Jude's written here. And there are these two lovely American girls, but they were very affronted by what I said. And they pulled me aside afterwards. And one of them, whose dad was a pastor, said, my dad is truly very spiritual. He waits for the inner prompting of God the Spirit, even late into a Saturday night, so he knows what to preach on the next day. Every part of my being felt like saying, well, I can think of 66 really good things that he could preach on the next day that the Spirit would be truly happy with him to do and, you know, he could have more preparation as opposed to, let's just face it, following natural instinct and spiritualizing it. I pleaded with those girls to reconsider what the Word of God was making clear. But friends, it can be extremely difficult to convince someone that they are in dangerous territory when the whole premise of their theology is thought to be genuinely spiritual, where it yet relegates, even because it relegates the word of God to a very distant second place at best. I once had someone correct me by saying that, well, you need to learn that the letter kills and the spirit gives life. To which I almost felt like saying, how do you know that? Where did you hear that? It's in the Bible and when a person is very deep into a scam it can be hard for them to realize perhaps that's why Jude is just so brutal and so adamant in reminding us over and over again that hell is the destination of the false teacher and perhaps that's why also very thankfully he gives us what we need to ensure that we don't get scammed and also how we can help those who might be called up caught up with false teachers The first thing to remember is that being a follower of Jesus is about waiting. Waiting for the wonderful bliss that will be ours in eternity such that we don't get sucked into thinking that we can achieve perfection or fulfilment here in this life. Verse 20, but you, dear friends, is a big contrast now, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, And praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Just like in the introduction, we're kept for Jesus Christ. There's a waiting game if you're a follower of Jesus. See, one of the biggest telltale signs of a false teacher is that they will promise health and wealth and success in the here and now. Whereas the genuine gospel always leaves room for the hope of heaven. You'll notice I've left a couple of gaps there in the slide because it's important to emphasize that the your here is plural, to use bad bogan English, use, right, lots of people, whereas the faith here is singular, like we've already seen earlier on our left. Judas saying, use guys, you peoples, build yourselves up together in the faith, singular, that you've got the holy faith that you've already got by the way can anyone think of like a situation where maybe a use a whole bunch of christians would sort of be together to build themselves up in the the holy faith oh yeah here we are well done for you being here uh god's prescribed method one of his very important prescribed method is church this is how you build yourselves up in the holy faith um if you're a Christian, you choose to go to church once. You don't think every Sunday will I go face to face. No, no, no. If you're a Christian, you'll be here except for holidays and sickness or very exceptional circumstances. That's, that's just how it is. And this will sting a bit when I say it. It always does. But I'm going to say it anyway. It's very often the case that people who are flaky at church are flaky in their theology. Flaky at church, flaky in your theology. Therefore, usually at greater risk of being duped false teachers. So, brothers and sisters, I urge you, as does Jude more importantly, keep room in your theology for perfection, not on earth, but in heaven, and keep gathering together as a top priority throughout 2023. There's a real New Year's resolution. Next up, how do we address those who are getting sucked in, or even themselves beginning to pervert the faith that was once for all delivered to God's people? Well, When it comes to this problem, I think Jude sees three levels of severity. So verse 22, you can hear them all. Be merciful to those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. Obviously, brothers and sisters, the first port of call is only ever always to lovingly show mercy this is our instinct to sympathize to help to show the gentleness and the lowliness of the lord who for whom gentleness and lowliness is at his very heart who would give of himself to pay for our sin that's our that's the first knee jerk that we always have as followers of jesus and brothers and sisters let this be on public record i will never Nor will any mature Christian ever condemn you for having doubts. Most Christians at some time or other will be able to echo the call of that desperate man who says, Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. If some teaching, even some notion you've concocted in your own head, which is often the case, has led you to doubt, the validity of your salvation, the truth of the gospel, whatever it is, you are never to be ashamed or embarrassed about that. Jesus is perfect, you're not. We can have doubts. It can be especially hard for children raised in strong Christian homes whose parents are rightly involved in serving and and, and ministry and whatnot. It can be hard for people like that especially to ever admit that they're having some questions or some doubts maybe on the basis of something they've heard or something they are put in their own mind. But I can assure you that even if that's you, you won't be alone and you can find great help and comfort in talking to, to myself or, or Gav hopefully when he comes back or another Christian friend, whatever, with any doubts, with doctrine, theology, the gospel, etc. That's stage one. More seriously though, For those who are in more serious trouble and at risk even of losing their salvation, which the scriptures say does and can happen for those who get duped into heretical false teaching, then the loving thing to do is, what does he say? Snatch them out of the fire. This one's got a bit more clout. This is a bit more serious. Uh, It could look something like this. Brother, if you keep on buying into that prosperity gospel rubbish then when the storm hits, you're going to find out that your house was built on sand and it's possible you'll walk away. You've got to stop that. There, there's a little possibility of an example of, of, of a snatch out of the fire. But of course, the top level, for those who are far gone and who might be professing a perverted gospel and therefore likely being ungodly in their behaviour and their doctrine, We are right to express fear and even express hatred at such ungodliness. Of course there's still to be mercy, that's always the case, we're to hope and pray that they will repent and recommit to the truth of the gospel but there does come a point where it needs to be left entirely in God's hands. Remember the Jews in the first century, they would have known that a lot of the ceremonial laws in Leviticus mean that sin was kind of visualised as contaminating things, even clothing. So clothing is very close to the person, even the things that are close to the person you want to you want to keep a distance from him, you want to hate this is a way of it's an idiomatic way of saying approach with great caution keep them at arm's length finally and this will be a relief because it's positive after a fairly damning letter from jude finally one of the simplest litmus tests for whether a teaching is biblical or unbiblical is whether or not it just puts god at the center making god the one who acts and works more than making us the ones who act and work. See, so much Roman Catholic theology is that you do the confession, you do the penance and partake in the mass and the sacraments and the church and the clergy and the saints will do the absolution. They will provide the sacraments, they will issue the indulgences, they will provide the mediation, you, 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 church, church, church. It gets harder and harder to see where the dependence on Jesus and the work of God are. It's harder and harder to see them as being at the centre of that theological picture. Similarly, with often within Pentecostalism, it's your experience, along with the sleek production of the so-called worship, that finally, if it's done well enough, becomes the conduit through which God the Holy Spirit can finally come in and then be enabled to do his supernatural work. Man so often takes the starring role, while God is there as the supporting cheerleader, if we need him, so to speak. But notice how God-centered Jude's well-known benediction is at the end of his letter. Verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Notice how passive we are and how all the action is God's. To him. Verse 25, To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and All Amen. God is the one who keeps you from stumbling on account of the person work of Jesus Christ our Lord. And that means that whilst it is so important we teach Christian teacher, we. We treat Christian teachers with respect and dignity. We've really got to avoid putting them on pedestals. Actually, I've become of the view after looking at this that I think the celebrity pastor ought not to exist. I don't think there should be, I don't think the Bible recognizes such a thing as the celebrity pastor. The power and authority belong ultimately to God and the centrality of God and the need to rely on the Lord Jesus will be really transparent in the theology and the teaching of any sound Christian teacher. They will point you not to them but to Jesus over and over. In the year 2018, the then most popular sermon on YouTube, the sermon that Oprah Winfrey claimed changed her life was a sermon that mentions Jesus a grand total of zero times. Not surprisingly, it was by a patently false teacher. Brothers and sisters, Jude teaches us that Christians are not only to hold to the apostolic faith, but to contend for it. That will involve learning to identify and obviously reject false teachers, building ourselves up in the apostolic Christ-centered faith of which church is integral, and of course, where it comes up, seeking to help or correct those who are so influenced. I know it's not glamorous or particularly exciting, but often truth isn't what this is is absolutely god honoring and it's more important than the majority of new year's resolutions that most of us would have made a couple of weeks back to that end let me now conclude in prayer heavenly father we thank and praise you for your son our savior the lord jesus christ for his person and work that was delivered and was written down by your holy people and given to us plainly in the scriptures heavenly father thank you for the warning that there uh, always has until the return of Jesus will always be those who seek to pervert the truth. May we so humbly and dependently rely on your word. May we be careful about what it is that we see and take in. May we leave room for the bliss of heaven in our theology, not looking for perfection here on here on earth. And Heavenly Father, where we uh, find ourselves in situations where we might be able to help those uh, who have been... Uh, uh, scanned by false teaching give us the wonderful mercy and grace of the lord jesus but also where needed the caution uh, to be careful that we don't get uh, influence we ask these things in jesus name amen